right, welcome to Chasing Squirrels podcast. I am thrilled to be able to have a conversation with Whitney Gardner, the author of Chaotic Good, another book that I'm chasing in the White Pines series of young adult novels. And maybe right on the front end, Whitney, can you put down, you know, you get to you have, I guess, the burden and the the excitement of introducing yourself. How would you like to How would you like to be known in this in this uh, conversation? <laughs> uh, I guess I'm an author and an illustrator, or a author and cartoonist. I'm also going to be introducing my dogs that are playing in my office behind me. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, I'd say that's what I do. I just had a, my first graphic novel come out this year and Chaotic Good came out in 2018. So drop the name of the graphic novel too and see if we can circle back to it. So what, what did you just release? What's the name of it? Uh, the, my graphic novel is called Fake Blood. It's for a much younger audience, middle grade, I'd say more like 10 year olds. Cool. Can we circle back to that near the end? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. I just called it up to see the the cover on it. Yeah, I love the. Uh, I love it. These are your you you illustrate your own books. Yep, that is cool. I like I like the image. Okay, so um, often on this podcast, I'm sort of going after educators or individuals that are, I, I guess, in my measurement, doing things that the the stories that they're creating. Um, have influence in in edu so how about this uh, this is a little bit of a, a one one question survey would you be comfortable would you be comfortable still being identified as an educator um i wouldn't necessarily call myself that but if somebody else called me that i would be okay with it <laughs> I get well. I get. I'm going to draw you. I'm going to draw you into the family. I guess again, and we'll get to that point too. But it's it's one of those. I've always found it's it, it's easy for me to get information from inside the silo. It's very easy for me to um, take all of my cues and information from the school board that I work for, and I often think to myself that can't be the whole story. It can't be the only thing that's going to inform my understanding of working with teenagers. It shouldn't be the only thing, the only metric to sort of measure whether or not what's going on with the kids is is good and happy and balanced. And that's what I dig about conversations with people that are just outside the bubble, like yourself, writing about things that the the storyline and, and, and sort of like the, the vignettes in chaotic good, I can see these at a distance in the high school, but I really dug how I kind of felt like I was brought to the inside of it. It's a little bit like, you know, so my own children, you get to, you know, it's a little bit like listening at the door when they're plotting something, some uh. sort of like little game and you don't really have the context, but you realize that, you know, that moment to open the door and come in would have changed everything. They would have. That's oh, door. for sure, for sure. So I felt like I was getting a little bit of a glimpse, a little bit of a glimpse inside. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, so let's start there. Um, that that. How, how did you how, try not to make it that it sort of simply complex? But in in writing. 
the story from kind of a little bit from almost like multiple, not multiple perspectives, but you spent equal time with, I think, caring for each of the characters here. Mm-hmm. In crafting the different voices, the different characters, whether it's uh, Cam or Coop or or Wyatt or or Lincoln, was there any one of the characters that seemed or felt easier to write? Like it came out faster. Like you almost couldn't keep up with the creation of what that character wanted to be or wanted to say or who they wanted to interact with. I think Cooper was probably the easiest because he's sort of based on someone I know in real life. Okay. (laughs) So I would think about what this person might say to me or to this or to Cameron in certain situations. And that kind of just came out very easily when I thought about this person who is sort of a inspiration for him. Um, But I would say why it also too was very easy to write. Cameron was not as easy as I would have liked her to be. I liked Wyatt. Wyatt was easy to be around. Yeah. You, you, you the character, the, I, I felt like Wyatt could be Wyatt. Wyatt was like, I had a buddy Brent in high school um, in grade eight. He developed a beard. So he, we actually called him beard. That was kind of his nickname. <laughs> But, but, and I'll, I'll call him Brent now, but Brent, like he could almost be, he could hang with any group. I was really envious of it. I thought, you know, in high school, I thought to myself, I had to be with my, my tribe, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And the time that I could spend with Brent, I always felt like I was like, there was something really special about it. Like, because he could be anywhere, but he kind of chose to be in my space. And I felt Aww. like, I felt like Wyatt was kind of like that character. Like he brought... Like he's he, kind of like he kind of tied everybody kind of together. I think so. Yeah. Did um. So you mentioned that writing Cam was more of a challenge. Why? Why was that? I think it's because I was coming off writing my previous book, um, "You're Welcome, Universe," and the main mm-hmm. character of that book is very angry and very hot-headed and uh, feisty. And Cam is none of those things. So every now and again, I'd find myself writing these really angry monologues in Cam's voice. And I'm like, this isn't right. Why isn't it right? And I had to put up a post-it note on my computer that said, Cam and Julia are not the same (laughs) to remind myself, like to break out of Julia's voice, who I'd been like living with for so long at that point. Wow. So is there, I like that idea. You make it sound like, like I like the danger you're introducing into this, that there's, there's that element of, um, by be, by having the characters that like, the, I, sorry, danger might not be is, is the right word. I think there's that, that when you get comfortable, were you very comfortable with that characters with Julia's voice? Like, did it get, um, how, like how invest how invested were you there? It was just because of the time spent and then creating another um, that next protagonist that it just kind of carried over. Yeah, like what was the exactly. what was the tether that you said? Okay, they can't be the same, so I'm going to. Well, I mean, I knew that they weren't going to be the same from the start of writing Chaotic Good, but mm-hmm. I needed to just you want to make sure that you can differentiate all your characters, that they all have their own voice, that they don't sound the same. So you could tell who's talking without even having to see like Wyatt said 
Um, so when you're writing first person and you're in that character's head, sometimes it's hard, or at least for me, it was hard to distance myself from that first book that I had worked on for like three years and remind myself, oh, no, 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 this is a different person. She would not get angry at this. She would do this or she's much more shy and she would feel bad and she wouldn't be like this bold, courageous person. Um, yeah. Hmm. The, um, the, then the choice for her to have a twin brother, mm -hmm. that makes it a little bit more interesting to me then. So it's, how, well, the twin was, brother is sort of like the Twelfth Knight, she's the man sort of set up someone who's there to help her transform into the boy version of herself. Right. More easily. So she wouldn't be like getting her dad's clothes or having to go out and shop. Like it's just right there available for her. Which is is a great i mean tactically that works and it, it's sort of a, it right i get it's it's sort of like it's a, it's a good lego piece right because you can kind of go click click mm -hmm. and you've got sort of a, a, a plot what could be a, a a plot challenge kind of figured out but then i kind of say like cooper cooper bloomed and grew into something so much more than just that sort of vehicle for cam yeah. to sort of become well that's what and i felt. think no, it, it it did. It it happened. There was a story. There was a story emerging for Cam, that was at some point kind of fed by you know Cooper's assistance. But there was a very, there was another whole sort of quest for for Cooper. So it makes me it makes me wonder about. Um, I don't know if you can give this one away. Were there parts of Cooper's story that you chose? maybe not to include so things that you know we never really got to find out about cooper so that we could stay connected with cam's story um because hmm. i felt like he like he was almost at some at some points i almost felt like he was like his life story was sort of like racing with with cams like there was a little bit of not just sibling competition, but it actually was quite riveting, like dramatic. Like he had stuff going, he has stuff going on, right? You know, a past love, uh, a future in film. Like he's got stuff kind of cracking off in there, like he's trying to make happen. And it made me wonder, like, you know, it made me wonder a little bit about what, what didn't make it into the book about his story, because it would have just, it would have pulled the focus, let's say, away from well, um, yeah, you don't Cameron at all. get a lot of Cooper's backstory or like him coming out or what that was like for him. There's like a, a brief illusion that he was bullied possibly before the book started, which is why Cameron is a little sensitive to share her drama with him because she knows that he's been through a lot himself. Um, so there's always that, like his backstory his origin story I guess mm -hmm. but I don't know if there's much that I would would have given him that I thought about at least that's outside of the story he's curious to me I want to know more <laughs> yeah I'm just just saying yeah I want you you left you, you left enough you left enough 
and and it was the balance that I was aware of. There was enough there that made, like he took up he took up a very nice amount of space in the storyline, mm-hmm. and was kept top of mind when without overshadowing. And I always think like from an artist's perspective, keeping the spotlight where you need it mm-hmm. and the things that are just in the diffusion on the outside, like that's a, that's a tricky balance to do. I think about some of, in some ways um, I've, I've helped out some writing groups in high school. And one of the things that I've noticed in the writing sometimes is just the white hot intensity of focusing just a little bit too much on the protagonist so yeah. it almost shrivels in the storyline because you don't get enough of the context. And then if it diffuses too much, then you lose the journey. So I thought there was a really, there was a cool balance there. There was a cool balance there. And, and I mean, part of the challenge there is that you've identified they're twins. Yeah. So it's almost right away. You expect that there's a, a yin and a yang or sort of like, like there's a binary to this, this character mm-hmm. that we're going to find out about. So I like that chaotic good too. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, when, when you, when you're, you, so the, um, take you back to the, the book is done. The book is sort of published. It makes it out into the world. It's launched, it's released. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it, it starts to take on that sort of momentum. And I'm, I'm imagining you sort of, you know, starting new projects. It becomes one, one piece of, of you as a creator kind of putting out to the universe. Did you have any moments once the book was out in the world, though, that um, you wondered about the characters? Now, I'll shape this a little bit. I read, and it's it almost it's I kind of do this with fiction and nonfiction, definitely a lot more with with fiction. That I kind of close the book, and I'll have moments in the day where the character pops into my mind in much the same way that I might think about my son, like mm-hmm. you know, if my son's home he's sick that day or my spouse. I wonder how her, her day is going and characters popped into my head. Like quite often, quite often uh, Brody popped into my head and for no other reason other than I've, well, one of the, I'll say one of the reasons is that I, um, where my school is, my classroom faces the front of the school. So I teach in a high school faces the front of the school. And this is often where a lot of students wait to be picked up at the end of the day. And the interaction between the the boys reminded me so much of the energy that came, comes off of Brody in the story. Mm. So I might be watching the boys out front doing the things that they do, you know, horseplay on the simpler end, sure. flat out, like strange aggression on the other end. And I'm like, that's what Brody does. <laughs> I think Brody's like that. But it's sort of like it's, 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 you know, making real. It's really humanizing the characters. And I wonder to you, I wonder for you, once, once you're no longer in directly in the family of the story you're no longer in that universe directly which of the characters which of the characters do you think about the most if at all do any of the characters come to mind almost like like I said wondering like I wonder what they're doing now (sighs) see I I've never had the I wonder what they're doing now I think that's a very like interesting reader thing because 
I, I like the idea of like my story has ended. And if you want to figure like dream about what happens next, I hope you do. And I think that's wonderful. But like, for me, the story is over. So I don't know what they're doing now, <laughs> but I know what they did. Um, but I do think about them. Usually it's just the main character, Cameron or Julia or AJ from Fake Blood. Uh, when I'm in mm -hmm. a situation, like if I see an amazing graffiti mural, I'm like, oh my God, Julia would love that. Or if I'm in the mm. comic shop and I see the big, the big tub of d20s and i'm like oh that's still there cam would come in and pick it out or like if uh if it's halloween and there's fake blood everywhere i'm thinking about aj sneaking the fake blood into his hoodie to bring to school but i i don't think i ever sit and wonder like i wonder what those characters are are doing now gotcha do you think that's um do you do that with books that you read yes absolutely i think it's definitely like a reader thing and not a, a writer thing for me at least it's a little bit maybe the the maker the maker <laughs> that the power of the maker because in some ways you're kind of falling on the side of i could i could conjure yeah. <laughs> this next thing for the character if i so chose right. you know i don't i don't why wonder? I want Cam to become, you know, a fully fleshed out superhero, right? Like, I, I, there we go. There's the, the next iteration of that. Okay, that's interesting. And because when you write a book that becomes published, you're often writing it and editing it over and over and over again. And you spend so much time in that story that, like, when you finally hit the end and you finally edit it for the last time, you're kind of just like, I'm okay with it now. We're done. Mm. <laughs> I can move on. I love that. I love you just kind of poked me with. So Chaotic Good, did it end where you started it? What do you mean? So on the on the approach to however, and I, and I can only imagine what the sort of the queuing system and the mapping system and everything that sort of kind of gets the story into frames that you can start to kind of flesh it out with, with writing, mm -hmm. with words. Mm -hmm. When, when it, when it occurred to you that chaotic good could be, you know, long form novel form, the, the finished form, did you have a sense of where the story was going to go? Did the characters kind of make decisions and you were sort of following their storyline? So did it end where you sort of like thought that story would go? Um, Yes. And I do. I understand both of those things that you say are things that I do when I write. When I sit down to write a novel, when I get the idea, I will outline the whole thing in like 15 story beats. And I'll say, this is going to happen. Then this and this and this and this. And then as I'm writing those 15 beats out into a big novel, the characters like will do different things or change the way I originally thought the story was going to go or say things I didn't expect them to say like chapter to chapter, there's more changes as I'm writing, but usually I will have like the grand scheme figured out before I start down, start actually writing. Yeah. It's a, um, there's that idea of, um, I think to some of the conversations that I know some of my, I've never taught English. I'm sorry. 
my background in teaching, I've had, I've always been kind of in niche spaces, always special education. I've been in something called alternative education. Um, I've worked with students on suspension and expulsion, but it's always kind of like these small spaces and curriculum came with it, but it wasn't the, I wouldn't say it was the heart of my purpose there. It was sort of student support, student success. And we happened to teach some courses along the way. Um, but I have been a part of some writer circles and some uh, spoken word groups. And I've always wondered, you know, I've heard other, the constraints that I've heard some of my colleagues kind of put on some of the young writers that I've, you know, been privileged to kind of work around. I always wondered that type of structure as this is how you're supposed to do it. Hmm. How that, how that, because um, school does that. I'm making an apology on behalf of school. School True. does that because part of it is to get get to that template so that we can get to an, an outcome. Right. And I've always been more of the I've always been more of the kind of seeker when it comes to whether I'm doing writing or drawing myself is that what's happening in front of me does have life unto itself and to sort of take take cues from what's happening in front of it. despite the fact like like you had said if you want Cam to do something you're going to write another chapter. Cam's going to have another mm -hmm another paragraph as in now cam does that thing but there's something really neat in the reciprocity there about kind of finding that line between yes i'm putting the words to the page but i'm not entirely sure what word i'm going to write next that's where the character has to tell me what to do right and i'm always fascinated by that process in writers and i'm probably overthinking it but the reason that it comes to mind is because of the superstructure that schools teach kids how to write there isn't that sort of go for it, open-ended, here's some kind of cueing systems that you can try, but just start getting words on the page and let's see where it goes. I'm, and I'm, I'm, very, I'm not Sorry. very good at the let's, let's just, I, in the writer world, we call them plotters and pantsers. So people who plot or people <laughs> who write by the seat of their pants. And usually, who are you? Who are I'm you? definitely a plotter. I like to okay. know that there's a roadmap that I've thought of it. Even if I change it completely, it keeps the writer's block at bay for me because I'm like, you have a plan. Mm. You knew, you know what's coming next. And if I decide to change it, that's fine. But I like knowing that I've thought the story through first. And other people like to just sit and write and go for it and figure it out as they go. And there's no one right way or wrong way. It's just, these are two camps that a lot of writers seem to fall into. I've heard that pantsers or plotters. Mm -hmm. See, I'm a, I'm a big supporter of the pantser camp. I, I let's say that I get that. And part of it is that I'm so, I'm so sort of uh, soaked with the plotter, mm -hmm. but I don't know if it's for the right reasons. That's, that's what I'll say. I don't know if it's for the right reasons. And sometimes it comes down to, um, I'll say sometimes in school, the thing that the, the tasks that we're asking the student to do doesn't necessarily have a clear real world connection. Right. So if you were to come back to me and say, yo, Clough, here's my, here's my plotter frame. And then I say, this person has created a book. <laughs> I think to myself, well, that is a plotter frame that is connected to the real world. But I sometimes think inside EDU, we're creating these plotter frames that's only based on inside edu mm. i'm not throwing any shade on education i love my job i love i i love the work that i do 
but this is my ref, my reflection on this that I think that's why I kind of encourage like just write 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 as much as you can keep going don't stop because I think it's the almost like the necessary antithesis to the superstructure that just kind of pushes down these things into very specific boxes. So drawing was my first love and that's how I feel mm-hmm. about drawing. It's just like sit down, draw, draw whatever you want, draw all day, draw this, draw that. Like, and it doesn't matter Just sit down and start drawing and see what comes. But I had to teach myself to write. I didn't, I wasn't interested in writing in school. I didn't do any writing in college. So when I started to get interested in telling stories, I was teaching myself and following the plotting or the outlines helped me learn how to tell a story. So using that as a framework made it easier for me to wrap my mind around how you write an entire novel. Can, can you, can you shake that out a little bit? Cause I was curious, I was going to, I was going to come at it from a, a different angle to ask you about that, but how, how did you either discover that? What was the moment of discovery like between drawing and writing that you felt like you're in transition? Like, how did, how did you sort that? I, you know, sometimes I say like, how did you notice that there was sort of like a, a, a parallel path here that you could sort of move from the drawing into something like chaotic good? Well, um, I always thought that I was going to be a picture book illustrator and that was the goal. Uh, and I tried very hard for a long time to make that happen. And then I realized the only way I'm going to get a picture book made is if I also, if I write it at the same time. And I had a real hard time writing picture books, but then I started writing comics and then it all sort of started coming together to me like, Oh, this is how you do words and pictures. And then, um, my friend suggested, why don't you try writing a novel? Maybe you'll get a novel put out. And I'm like, I can't write a novel. I just write little comics. But then once I started thinking about the kind of book I would have wanted to read as a teen, as a teen who didn't like to read, I thought, I'm going to write a YA novel and I'm going to put pictures in it and I'm going to put comics in it and I'm going to make them short and easy to read. And these are the kind of books that I would have wanted. And once I started thinking about that, the writing also became easier. So I I love you just had a very fleeting tap on your school Mm -hmm. past. Can I, can I, can I take you as far back? Can I time travel you a little bit here? What's your, what's your earliest your earliest school memory my earliest not necessarily not necessarily related to anything we've talked about so far normally this is the question that i ask on the front end but you took me in a in a beautiful different direction so i'm going to introduce it now what's your earliest my school memory earliest school memory oh, i think it's i had a very mean teacher in second grade Call them out. Call yes, them out. Miss Abrahamson. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. I feel Abra- like I, I don't Miss Abrahamson, you're <laughs> on notice blessed. right now. Um I I <laughs> I'm gonna see if she's on like, Twitter. Oh I doubt it. Um <laughs> that'd be awesome. This 
I think this is my clearest first school memory is that I remember standing at the chalkboard and there were math problems on the board and mine was five plus six. And I remember thinking, and I was not good at math. And I remember thinking, I can't count on my fingers because everyone will see. And I had a very hard time counting in my head and I couldn't figure it out. And I remember just giving up and the teacher got extremely mad at me (laughs) and sort of humiliated me a little bit. And now I've never, I can never forget what five plus six is because of her. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's good. It's 11, by the way, I know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love just in case <laughs> just in case for all your feeds out there mm-hmm. like I'm good uh, yeah. I got this now I got the Abrahamson Abrahamson I am officially I have completed uh, yes. that math question that's that's awesome it's it's remarkable how often I've asked that question before of other of other educators and and math pops up a lot mm. did math did math get better for you no was that you or math? Uh, Who, who's, whose fault was that? You or math's fault? Oh, um, I, I don't blame math. Uh, no. Math doesn't have <laughs> any feelings. Math doesn't care who I am. That's true. Uh, I just think that I had a hard time grasping certain concepts in math. And also it didn't interest me. So I didn't care to try harder because Mm -hmm. it wasn't what I wanted to spend my time doing. I was not a good student. I like telling people that because I feel like you can uh, be a bad student and then grow into, in college is where I became a good student because I was finally doing all the things that I was interested in. So and that was that was going to be yeah. my next sort of poke is when when did you notice cuz I I do have a few students that they're 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 on the edge. Like they're mm-hmm. on the edge. I taught grade 12s this semester and um they are fed up with the idea of becoming an adult. And not not because they they're not recognizing that that's their future but i think it's how it's being shaped to them that you know they're looking one of the greatest compliments one of the greatest compliments i have ever received actually came out of that classroom one of the students um said to me at the end of the semester clough the the single this it was awesome you made adult adulting look difficult and i was like come on uh, the student like um student's name so i just call the student d i was like d what do you mean like i made it look difficult they say so many people around us so many people around us are people around me the adults they make it seem like they got it all together that everything is just you mm-hmm. know moving flawlessly this student and this is the truth i watched you walk around the classroom you trip over the lcd projector court <laughs> And I was like, okay, I'm like, let's play with this. Tell me what else, what other, <laughs> what other, how else did I, how else did my mistakes entertain you? They said, well, you remember that one time you had the wrong photocopies? It was like the grade 11 summit of assessment. I'm like, yeah. And that time you spilled coffee on the floor. I'm like, yeah. And how often you forgot your mouse downstairs in your other classroom? Cause I kind of had to travel from one side of the school to the other and one floor up. I'm like, it's all true. She said, they, she said, I felt for you. I felt for you. But at the same time, that 
being not polished and just kind of rolling with it. And Whitney, no, no joke. I can't tell you how many times I tripped over the LCD projector court. <laughs> and, and to the point where um, this particular student said, like, I was just, I was ready to grab the LCD projector in case it fell to the floor. She said, sometimes I couldn't even, she said, when you started walking around, cause I tend to be a wandering teacher. Like I'll just, I'll teach from anywhere in the class. She goes, mm-hmm. it stressed me out. She goes, I enjoyed it, but it stressed me out because at any moment I thought I was going to come over and have to pick you up because you tripped over a chair. So, but part of this is that idea that you, you kind of have to have it all together. Yeah. I will say, this is something that I loved about the book is that the characters, even the mom, the dad, they all felt like they had, like, there's an element of transition. Like they're sort of Mm -hmm. in a moment of change. And I'm curious, were, were you kind of aware of that? Like it doesn't, there doesn't feel like there's like a fait complete here. Like there's so, it's so much open space still for the characters to, to, to play with at the end. How, how intentional was that? Like even the ending and I'm not spoiler alert. No, I won't do that. But even the (laughs) ending, you know, is there's no assurance here. It's left kind of open and messy. Well, that's life. And that's how I like to end my books because there is no, there's no solid ending. Like they still have to go to school again or go, go back to their normal lives after that game. Like, I know. Uh, It's very hard to just write an ending for a contemporary realistic story because it's not how life works. So I know that some people were frustrated with the way the book ends because I don't wrap up certain uh, loose ends. Like did Cam get into the school or not? And I say like, what do you, what do you think in your heart? Did she get in? Uh, Then that's your answer. You know, like I like to leave some of it open. You left a lot. There's a lot. It, and I hadn't I hadn't really thought about this, but kudos to you. You left a lot. But it's funny, you left it on the upswing, which is yeah. kind of kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, you you left it on the upswing. It's you know, like if you know, if you had ended on like one of the scenes between Cooper and and his ex, I was like, oh, oh. it's kind of like oh, yeah, no. or one of the one of the sort of like the the darker graphic novel. Uh, inserts I'm like, oh geez but yeah it's it... no you gotta have a happy ending do you do you feel that in your writing well for me for me i i i am not one of those people that likes the tragic ending All right. so that's just by practice you're sort of putting it out into the universe that every single one of your books i like i like reading a story and at the end feeling like happy and satisfied and not necessarily uh weepy and tormented mm. But that's me. I'm not trying to yuck anybody else's yums here. Got you. Okay, I'm going to jump randomly here. Sure. What is it about Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, what is it about Dungeons well, yeah, and Dragons? That's intentionally. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting you on the upswing here. What's the, what is yeah. it about? Can I, can I share my experience just quick? Absolutely. Two quick ones, two quick ones. One... Um, I tried twice when I was in grade nine, I went to the library and there was a Dungeons and Dragons, uh, group there that, uh, the library was putting on. It was like every Saturday morning or something like that. And my parents, they knew that I had, like, I was always like, I like to draw kind of superheroes and, um, and, and write poetry and funny things. I was always like words and pictures, words and pictures, words and pictures. So, of course, you know, parents kind of notice and they're like, oh, 
well, you know, how could that sort of be another thing? So what's a parallel path to kind of feed this stuff? So one of my parents found out that the local library was offering, you know, Dungeons and Dragons on Saturdays. So they dropped me off. Now, the first problem here is they dropped me off. They didn't do any investigation. Not at all. They just knew it was happening. Mm. So I went in and I found it. It was sort of like one of the uh, resource rooms that was in the library. And it's funny. Um, Cam's experience of feeling like blocked. Now her experience in it also had a lot of other layers to it, but that idea of being excluded was exactly how I felt. Like when I arrived, <laughs> the whole that whole image of the sort of um hipster comic book store individual just sort of like leaning over a magazine on the counter and sort of just sort of looking through the tops of their eyes out at whoever just walked in and then back to their thing and like all that judgment mm. and that's exactly what happened when I walked in and these were 13 year olds <laughs> you know and they all have their profiles out there and I, and I had never I had never played I had never experienced I'd never done that type of writing that type of structured writing to sort of create a character and even understanding all the nuances of it like all the different you know the different elements and healths and and magics and everything that sort of goes along as you level up a character no clue so mm-hmm. I walk in and they just one person pointed to a a, a stack of full scap and pencils and they said create a character and I sat there staring at the page for the full hour and they walked over. They're like, okay, come back next where you can create a character. So I felt that kind of blocking system, mm. which I think was, it's in some ways just a small piece, small piece of what Cam noticed, but then kind of like completely blew it through, right? Kind of blew it out of the water. The second story is, is about my own children and how incredible their daycare teacher is, Brian. My kids come home and will say to me, you make sure that you don't pick us up too soon on Thursdays because we have Dungeons and Dragons. I'm like, what? You guys have Dungeons and Dragons? And right away I'm thinking, hey, maybe I can get in on this. Redemption, yeah. right? But I, I And they have like, so my daughter's 10, my son is eight. They have like a five-page booklet front back of all their, um, like their, the the treasures they found the potions that they found their current health and all the different layering of it and i've actually walked in on a couple sessions and it's funny as a parent i get blocked as well like there's shh, dad shh, 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 we're about to go into the dungeon and jacob's in a cage that's my son <laughs> we have to get him out we told him not to go in the cage but you know and he rolled a seven and it wasn't a, they kind of rolled through and i'm like this is so awesome so I'm observing something that I kind of missed out on. I'm completely appreciative of it. But there are these really powerful bookends to this game that is such a good game. Like just such a great game. And I don't even know if I'm, would you call it a game? Yeah, I call it a game. I call it a game. So what is it What is it for you? For me, it's this weird dissonance between my my experience there and seeing my kids being like I've Maybe I could jump in again. Maybe I could play with them. But they just, they also love playing with Brian, the dungeon master. And he's got his boards all set up. And there's like, like a a senior kindergarten student playing and like a grade two student playing and a couple grade sevens playing. It's such a beautiful little, and they're all sitting on the carpet and they're all like, yeah, we want to get the jewels and sneak around the dragon. What is it for you? What is it about D&D that... Well, what is it's, it? it's changed for me over the years. When I first played Dungeons and Dragons in high school, it was, I was lucky in that the 
our DM, our dungeon master in high school was a very good friend of mine and he never made me feel excluded or like I didn't know enough. And he was very kind to everyone who played and it just became this insane bonding ritual between me and these guys. And it's like an inside joke machine. And then you go to school and you have all these jokes about things that happened in the game and you just feel like you're a part of something fun and bigger than yourself. And now I'm running a game for my friends and it's just become the most fun way to tell a story without having to worry about a publisher or an editor. I just get to like go crazy and do all sorts of things and have fun telling a story with my friends without any sort of industry pressure. <laughs> what would you say is the critical space between D&D and let's say um, an online community game like, like a Warcraft so something what's what's that so i would say warcraft the story has already been created by someone mm, okay. online there's no free form element to it so there's not a lot of um improvisation that can happen you can fight and you can win a fight or lose a fight but there's no moment where you're like trying to convince a monster that or like use a charm spell on him instead of fight him. And then you roll mm -hmm. a one and oh my gosh, what can happen? Or you roll a 20 and now this monster becomes your best friend. Like Dungeons and Dragons, you could take the story wherever and the players also have a say sort of in what happens in the story. Whereas something like online, there's not a lot of that storytelling element between your friends it's just like we're gonna go and do this raid and we're gonna get coins and we're gonna do this and either you win the fight or lose the fight and there is an overarching story i'm sure but it's set in stone you don't get to change it in any way did D, D disappear for a little while while we were kind of getting used to absolutely i think so video games being able to play play yeah like we kind of went through a phase where and we're, and we're completely, completely soaked in it now. Like I was, t I was, uh, talking with, a, a so my, my son was at basketball one time and we were sort of tripping down eighties memory lane with, uh, another dad at the basketball. And we started to talk about the coin operated mm. video games and thinking about what a great piggy bank that would be <laughs> like, like buy one, bring it into oh. your house <laughs> and the kids could play old school, like Pac-Man right? Like original generation. And then you've saved up a million quarters. They put all their money in there. Like it would be the best piggy bank. <laughs> we actually said that we wanted to get the tabletop. Would you ever see the tabletop ones? Oh yeah. So those are great. Like you could sit down, you know, put your sandwich there, whatever. But it's it was more the, so we started to talk about that, that kind of idea that video games took up a lot of space, a lot of space in the sort of entertainment market for a while. Like it just kind of pushed everything to the sides. And mm -hmm that idea that somehow the, because the, um, even the open, I mean, often one of the things that's it's, it's sold games that are sold with that sort of open-ended sandbox, multiple ending. And people sort mm -hmm. of look at that as like 
great. That's awesome. Like, you'll never be the same twice. But forgetting the fact that it's still fabricated to have multiple endings. Exactly. There's no straying from one of the paths they have laid out for you. Right. With, with, With acceptable and believable and counterable outcomes. Like mm-hmm. like a human could provide. Right. I don't know if any... And then there was also a time there, I think, within D&D that it was associated with, you know, sort of bad thinking mental wellness. And I think coupled between the growth of video games in, in homes and that idea that somehow D&D was leading to kids doing bad things, that all of a sudden... Yes, like dis- my mother was very concerned when I started playing. Really? What did can yes. what like to what end? What were can you share any of the what was um what I'm was what was the finger wagging? Specifically. Well, she pulled me aside and she's like, I was speaking to your aunt about you playing this Dungeons and Dragons game. And she says that it has roots in Satanism. Oh and uh, we weren't particularly religious, so I don't know why she was like bringing that up. And I was like, "Mom, you couldn't be further from the truth." I'm like, "This is just me and a bunch of my dorky friends sitting in the basement rolling dice. It's a board game. It's a game. I promise you, there is no ritualistic element to it." And she kind of took me at my word there. But then uh, my cousin wanted to start playing too, and we had to sort of win my aunt over as well. (laughs) Uh, It brought to mind, you know, what was it about? Like, what was the flow like in the book for the characters in the book? And and I don't know, I don't know even if it's about Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. But there was, I grabbed a little snippet in there. I put page twenty one. I'm not, but it's, it's, the the quote was, it's got all the right problems. And I thought that now that you and I are having this conversation, that's exactly what a human brings to a community-based game like that. All the right problems. And I just, I like that. I think I pulled it out just because I think that's kind of encapsulates not only, you know, this, this kind of breakfasty club, kind of a group meeting for this gaming session and how they kind of became like a family, like how they came together as something more than just the individual characters Mm -hmm. and how everything, everything kind of depended on them playing together. Like their, their human connection is what really drove the, all the good stuff from the game, all the chaotic good (laughs) stemmed from them spending time together. Right. Yep. Um, I have a couple more things to ask you about. Do we have the time? Yeah, for sure. Um, and this is a sidebar and it has to do with, um, so I've, I've consumed a lot of young adult literature, I feel over the last decade. And I've been thinking a lot about now what, what is, what makes a book young adult versus, well, we don't really say adult, not really. We just, we we say children and we say young adult and then everything else. And sure. am I kind of, we're kind of like, sometimes I guess we say adult fiction if we have to, but we kind of establish that there's two layers below. And then the one that everyone else exists at like regular mm-hmm. f- fiction or uh, nonfiction. So I, I don't, I'm kind of looking through my notes here, but I'm, I'm curious about, I'm curious about the writing of, 
Cam's um, love scene in the book. Mm. And I'm probably, and I, I'm, I'm like, I'm printing it like it's a love scene, not trying to titillate at all. But what occurred sure. to me within this, here's here's what occurred to me as I was reading this. And it's one of those spaces where one, I'm, I'm asking myself, where is the line now between young adult and adult? So this is kind of just my inquiry. And as I'm reading more in the White Pine, um, White Pine selections this this year, they're all over the place, but they're all kind of couched yeah. in this young adult lit- literature, which is cool mm-hmm. because that you're kind of hitting, a, they're hitting a lot of different spaces. I get it. But one of the interesting things as I was, as I, I as I read and kind of reread that scene again, is that it was really kind of like, Oh, I wish I could find it. I should have circled it in here <laughs> in, in my notes, but I, I wrote something to the effect of this is a very, not structured, not structured, but it's a very like, um, like as far as love scenes go, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very like script, like very step-by-step like, but I also had the sense of, it was one of the first ones I had ever read where there was communication at the exact same time. Like there was like a, a real conversation going on at the exact it's same time. It's on page getting... 158 in case. There you we go. Like... <laughs> oh, oh I wrote, you, thank you. Perfect. I put a very polite love scene. <laughs> yes. was, was, was this, was this strategic in design? Absolutely. And I thought, and so walk me through that a little bit, because what really struck me as being different is that there was equal voice from both individuals about what was going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I think that a lot I think that a lot of times people think that asking for consent takes the romance out of things. So I wanted to sort of take that on as a challenge just a little bit and say, well, I mean, no, it doesn't take the romance out. This is still a pretty cute romantic scene happening. Mm-hmm. Even though he's asking her like is this okay? Um, and also a lot Cam's going through a lot on the internet mm-hmm. throughout this book. Very disrespectful things are being hurled at her. And so I wanted the exact opposite for Link. I wanted him to be this example of a respectful person. And I didn't think it would be right to have her experiencing this thing on the internet and then have somebody just like go for her you know, without asking, <laughs> I guess. Mm-hmm. Well played. Very well played. And it, it, I think it's, it's for me to call it out as noticeable only in so much as it, it it's, it's important. Like just the writing of it highlights. It's interesting because there was there was a moment where I was like, this is like almost uncomfortable conversation. Yet then my brain goes, no, this is the conversation that we need to model. And it reminded me so often of, you know, the conversations that we help some of the teenagers in our school, my school to have when they're talking about their relations, you know, their their love relations or even like, like I said, you know, I I see Brody standing out Mm -hmm. front of my classroom every day. And one guy 
kind of punching another guy in the face and it's like hey like just the bravado like i see i see brody a lot uh, right. i see him frequently um and i see the character the the character that he created a lot tiffany am i sorry? yeah tiffany i see uh-huh. tiffany a lot too and you know that stereotype that stereotype i love how you you neutralized it just a bit you neutralize it just a bit by having them have a conversation in a moment that could so easily be painted in a different direction so that was um kudos to you i appreciated that i think when i noticed it i didn't know what was happening i was like wait what teenagers having conversation i'm like but that's kind of i mean they have to i i they should get examples from somewhere (laughs) yeah yeah no that was solid you you did the book a solid by including that um, where do I want to, I got a couple more. I'm trying to just hold the flow here. Did you, so are you, is it, is it a natural space for you to be both, uh, sort of like an artist, a, a drawer, a painter, whatever that sort of creator side and being a writer, do you feel any tension between the two spaces or does it feel like you can, you've synthesized kind of harmonized the two? Have you found your sweet spot? Um, I think I'm coming into it now with graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Um, writing is still a lot harder for me than drawing. Uh, but revising my writing is one of my favorite parts of writing because it's really nice to see a terrible paragraph turn into a great paragraph after you work it enough. Um, so that's where the magic for me in writing is. And Drawing has just always been magic. <laughs> Do you remember who introduced that to you? Who brought that to you originally? Drawing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. My elementary school art teacher was my hero. Um, I was a very odd child. I wore very strange clothes and I had a very weird style and didn't have a lot of friends. But my elementary school art teacher was just the same. She wore lots of wigs and crazy clothes and wild earrings. And she just, she didn't care what anyone thought. And she just did her own thing. And she just made art look so fun and so fabulous. And I wanted to be just like her. Hmm. Do you want to do a shout out? Oh, her name is Miss Lucky. (laughs) I think she's oh, that's a great name. Well, her name was uh, Linda Luckenhouse, but she said, went by Miss Lucky. <laughs> that's awesome. That's mm-hmm. still a great. It does the whole superhero thing. The first double first letter. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. The whole Quentin Choir thing. Yes. Right. Double consonant to lead it off. I don't know if it was Marvel or DC that master. I think it was Marvel that that was their kind of thing. Is that is that who kind of launched that idea? The whole double first consonant but it became a thing right yeah yeah wow miss lucky first superhero so when you um so coming into um coming into the art or coming out of art when you went to post-secondary it was for art uh yes Uh, sorry huge assumption whatever your post-secondary pathway was it was for art something art-based yes and was that, you know, we didn't even get to touch too much on this, but you were a teacher for a while. I was. I was uh, an elementary school 
librarian and art teacher for two years. And then they moved me to teach fifth grade for one year. And that was my teaching career. I loved being an art teacher. Three three years? Yeah, three years in three total. Three years in total. Okay. I loved being an art teacher. I loved being a librarian. I feel like if I wasn't a librarian for those two years, I might not have gone so gung-ho into children's books. Um, it basically changed the course of my life. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I was sad when I got moved to the fifth grade. Not that teaching fifth grade is, isn't great, <laughs> but it was not for me. And that was it. You did the year and you're like, well, I asked, I'm out. I, I asked my, I don't know how much I can say with being respectful. I asked my principal to move me back. I said, you know, I, I went to art school. Being an art teacher makes sense. Uh, my grandmother was a school librarian. I get this job. Like, please move me back. And he said, no, and that they needed me in fifth grade. And I, we had a, a lot of arguments about it and I eventually had to leave, but I loved my students. I just, mm-hmm. I, I was not cut out to teach fifth grade. <laughs> that's, you know what, you, 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 you ran the line very nicely. I will say that's, that's, um that's still a, that's still a thing. I have colleagues that they, they, again, they love, they love teaching as mm-hmm. a concept. They love connecting with teens and, and children as a concept. They're solid there, but they've been pulled out of what they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. So there's, I've met a lot of teachers that have had to sort of kind of pull up their anchor a little bit and decide to kind of, in order to stay teaching and to stay connected to this thing that they've committed a lot of training to and a lot of uh, finances to and a lot of time to, um, and they're they're hoping they're hoping to make it back to their passion. Yeah. They're hoping, but they're teaching a lot of different courses that uh, that wasn't that wasn't that wasn't what they Blend. signed on for. Yeah. So good for good for you for for making that leap. What was that like that first year though? Leaving. I'll say maybe the stability of a teaching job. I don't know how stable yeah, it was, no. but in general, it's kind of a... Yeah, I did miss that. I I went to, I was a nanny and then I became a teacher and then I went back to being a nanny again. Okay. Um, And yes, the first year after I stopped being a nanny and decided to start this writing journey full time, it was very scary <laughs> and hard was it because of the 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 challenge of it can you speak at all to how about how about the fear how about the fear part because i will say that um the difficulty notwithstanding Mm -hmm. i'll I'll put the assumption on top of anything if you choose to pursue a passion there's going to be a grind element to it Mm -hmm. and you got you got to grind it out whatever it is Mm -hmm. the fear part i'd like to land on just for a moment and again i'll bring it back to um, some of my students that are really, some of my students right now are really consumed with the the decisions that they're making. They want assured outcomes. Mm. And it's not necessarily, I, I don't even call that fear. It's like they're trying to quantify the outcome without putting in the grind first. Oh, But okay. sometimes, but yes, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's their, 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 their fear suggests to me something different than something quantifiable it's a little bit more kind of 
diffuse. Like it could be, maybe I'm not sure about my skill set, or I've been told that it's hard to make a living out of this thing. Like it's sort of, it's, it's slightly less, you know, um, irrational rationality. What was the, what was the fear for you? Can you speak to that at all? Well, if I'm being completely honest, it was my husband was paying my bills or not my bills, our Mm. bills. And I kept thinking, how long uh, is this okay for me to sit here and write and try and do this? What if it never happens? How I need to be able to like prove myself or uh, basically how long am I going to let another person just like shoulder this burden for me? Um, Mm -hmm. That was mostly my fear. My fear was not uh, around the rejections or anything like that. It was mostly just the outside thing like, oh, gosh, what if it never happens? And what is my mom going to think? Or what is my husband going to do? Or like, what job can I go back to? Or anything like that. Gotcha. I would say that that kind of falls really far outside of what some of my students are concerned. That's a, that's almost like a, I mean, that's a life level that yeah, my students wouldn't necessarily right. have that's an appreciation of. Saying, right? like, I don't know how, yeah. how applicable that is. Well, I think, I think it's a good, I think it's I, what, where I, if I try to make it kind of like teachery, mm-hmm. it, it, it reinforces, it reinforces, um, an intentionality around building supportive community yeah. and being in 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 um, strong relationships and communication in those relationships. Kind of coming back to you know, like I said, you you framed out a conversation in this book that for me in reading young adult lit, it was a little bit groundbreaking. It sort of laid a nice template as to you two can have your passion, get all horny, and still respect each other. <laughs> right. Right, so there's a little, there's a little bit of a how-to there, right in the middle of your book. I think in some ways, your story that you're sharing right now does present an alternative, um, I, the grade twelve student, an alternative like to the to the the standard narrative. Some of the grade twelves I was talking to, we were talking, we had a lot of conversations about how you're going to finance your future, mm. and and love loans was part of the conversation, and a love loan unto itself can be a fairly structured and very responsible and respectable type of transaction if you take the time to have the conversation. Yeah, true. So I have deep respect for both sides of what enabled you to be here now talking to me about this book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like at the heart of it. Because it did it wasn't happenstance. There had to have been some negotiation, some push pull, some sort of uh, authentic emotionality around yes. it. Yes. Because other, because you have said that you're you still have a husband. I do. So it, right. Okay. So the and and so so you worked through it. Yes, we did. And and that's a very good the idea of working through it is a very good idea to have a part of not only this conversation but I think it's um, an also it's what kept me really working very hard towards the goal because I didn't want him to think that I was taking advantage in any way. So there was never a day where I felt like, Oh, I'll just hang out and do nothing and not work on this because I don't have a job. Like, no, my job was writing and researching agents and teaching myself how to write and like querying agents. Yeah, exactly. And I wanted him to see that I was taking it seriously. That's so cool. 
And so important. And well said. <laughs> well said. So, I don't know. Do I ask you the last one? You can ask me. Or do we wrap you it? You can ask me whatever you want. That's fine. If you have more questions, okay, so here, you can ask. Well, I, it's, more of a, it's more of a landing point. Sure. So, I'll, I'll start it this way. Do you cosplay? cosplay? I have not. But I think that if it were a big thing when I was a teen, I would have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Why Why would have that been a uh, Why would have that been a, a, a an easy step for you? Well, because I loved all all things geeky, and I loved being in the in the theater program in my high school. So I loved dressing up and getting to act like someone else, and I loved making things. And it just was like it. It's like a combination of all the things I like: being creative and and putting on an outfit and being someone that's not yourself for an hour or two. Um, I would have loved that. I don't think I have it in me to do it now, <laughs> but maybe. It's um, it's an interesting element. It's not something that pops up too much. I have never seen it pop up in high school hallways. No. There's, there's something about it. And I don't know if it was on our on in our on ramp. I had um, cross dress and cosplay connected to one another. Um, and I don't know what those, I don't know what those connections are, but there was something, well, I'll start at, you know, let's go back to the book. The, the, there was multi-layered there. You had cross-dressing for the main character, mm-hmm. which then there was also a layer of cosplay on top of the cross-dressing. And then there was also character design in there. So you were sort of really... <sighs> What I like about the book, what I like about the book and the way that those layers were sort of revealed is that it created kind of a really dynamic and fluid way to self-identify and the opportunity to bring, to be able to choose the elements of you to carry into how you present you. Sure. And I just, I don't even know what to say about that because I don't know, I don't know if it'll be noticed by my students, but I noticed, I was like, that's freedom, baby. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like that's really, I heard a podcast the other day and it, it, it kind of, it sparked me up and it kind of knocked me down at the same time. It was a very strange, I almost had that, um, you know, that image of sort of like the space explorer kind of floating out towards the stars. Mm. And then all of a sudden their oxygen hose kind of yanks them back. Like they can't kind of free float as far as they want. That's what this podcast did to me. I was like, yeah, I'm totally getting that. And I was like, doink, I got stopped. The the person in the podcast was talking about the power of alter egos Mm -hmm. and how sometimes we need to, we need to find that icon or that, that tool or that article of clothing that allows us to access the better parts of ourselves, completely subjective, but allows us to become something. It's like the reverse of, of Superman and Clark Kent. It's the idea of putting on the glasses, that little portable thing that actually can give you freedom, which is an entirely interesting essay to write all together. Which one was the superhero, you know, Clark Kent or or Superman. But um, I found that was the layers that you're just kind of pulling back slightly in this book that, there's an opportunity for some really sweet freedom by exploring mm-hmm. 
these characters that like all the all the people just kind of stepped into it so she she built it she built the 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 outfits for the group and they're like yeah we're gonna wear these sounds good <laughs> and i thought they don't even have a they don't even get like how much freedom there is in that i go to work each day and i i make a decision about the clothing that i wear in order to represent who i am as a teacher yeah. and and i i try and fight it and i try and tell myself i think i'm being an authentic and then I think to myself, but on the weekends, I wear track pants and a hoodie. Right. And I feel really comfortable in that. Uh-huh. <laughs> where's my Where's my job where I can wear track pants and a hoodie and still be respectable? I don't know. What was it? What was it? I know. Everyone's like, I totally want that job too, Clef. What was it like? Were, were you aware of sort of like making those connections as you were putting it together? Um, or are you sort of, what's your sort of, what are your thoughts on that? The sort of connections between being able to explore self and some of that sort of, some of the connective tissue between cosplay and cosplay and, um, and cross-dressing. I think when you're in high school, it's a really good time to just like experiment with who you are or what you like or how you present yourself. You, which is why I think you see a lot of like scenes, scene kids with their hair all crazy or goths or whatever. And I think it's all great. Like, please be a goth. See if that floats your boat. I love it. Um, and I think that now more than ever, people are choosing to not only like play with their appearance, but play with how they want their gender to be presented or how they feel in that way. And I don't know. I just thought that it'd be interesting to see, like you said, what aspects of her personality carries over no matter what she's wearing. That's awesome. I, I, and it's one of those, it's funny because I, like I have these notes, right. And now I have the little sketchy thing that I did for our conversation. And there's the, there's almost like that, that wish that I have as a teacher for the kids to see this for themselves Mm -hmm. to sort of just notice it and just go for it right like i i get what you're saying about miss lucky Mm -hmm. and i i i i had a an art teacher similar mr fitches and uh he wasn't an art teacher he happened to teach art it was it was the things that made him human became tenants for what I now think I'm sort of aiming for, like they're my North star in teaching. Mm. The dude would be sort of teaching art class. And at the same time, he'd be making wedding dresses for his side hustle. Mm. And you're, and you just sort of took it as that's what happens in this class. I'm going to be doing chiaroscuro or I'm doing like cubism and Mr. Fitches is making, that's a really gorgeous uh sequin design you're doing mr fitches and then he's like yes you walk us through it and then he'd say hey great drawings guys and then he would go back and start sewing again Hmm. and i just i think about that the noticing part and i wonder how difficult it is for teenagers to notice those spots those places in themselves i think and i don't want to be it's almost like by pointing it out like that's a teacher yeah. thing. That's like going back. That's like going back to the, back to that writing example I gave on the front. Like, here's how you write a paragraph. Mm-hmm. Here's the template, force your words through it. And you know, you will create something that is acceptable, acceptable and, and, and yeah, prototypical. So I think, I'm getting mad. I think they are noticing, but they're not going to 
they're not going to, it's not going to register for them what they've noticed until later. True. At least that's how it worked for me. Yeah. You mentioned your outfits. Did you keep wearing those outfits all through high school? Oh, for sure. I was, I was very weird. Yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. Good for you. What color is your hair right now? Uh, it's like a, a reddish color with yellow at the ends. Rockstar status. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, I saw a profile pic and I think it was pink. You had pink action going on. Oh, it's on. always different. It's always different. Hard to capture, eh? You're, you're yeah. captured and you're like, do you really want to take the photo now? Because I'm like, I got some manic <laughs> panic out in my car right now and I'm going to like start right? coloring, coloring it up well, right away. All my author photos are illustrated so that's always that's fun. that's perfect that actually gives you a, like an, another layer of liberty to sort of just you know you don't even know if this is how i look right now i can be whatever right. i want to be <laughs> yeah all right whitney i'm gonna call it there i'm gonna call right. it there sounds it good. was but i will before we bust out of here again uh -huh. i'm gonna throw my thanks to you thank you for giving me your time to talk I'm I'm looking forward to releasing this to the students and letting them, you know, kind of bounce off some of these ideas because, uh, you know, there it's 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 I think it's a good and part of it is also to just to prove like you too can talk to an author like it's there's nothing this Absolutely. is schedule this is what it comes down to scheduling right it comes down to try and make a, a schedule work for both parties a conversation. They could at me on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So this is where I was going to go next. Um, where, if, if someone's reaching out, they want to, you know, they got a question for you. They, they want to, you know, kind of just connect with you. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you, how do you like to be connected with? Twitter's where it's at. For okay. Me. So um, that's the, uh, at Hey Whitney. It, yeah. At Hey Whitney. If a, if a reader wants to get in touch with me, I think that's the most direct way to do it. All right. It's very cool. I'll include that just at the, uh, in some of the show notes too. So it's sure. an easy, easy click away. So I'll release you to your evening to your, your dogs okay. got real quiet. Your dogs got real quiet. Were they bounced oh. out of the room? Or are they asleep? Yeah. They're out of the room now. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, so thank you for your time. Thank you for and, having uh, me. Let me know what the responses if there is any <laughs> i will i will and i'm going to send you like that um that twitter thing that we were talking about about uh oh, yes absolutely yeah that uh that uh, politician ripping it up i'm going to yep. I'll send that out to you okay. and uh have a fantastic evening and best thank wishes you. in your writing i'm going to check thank out you. fake blood i'm going to oh, maybe i'll get it i'll get it your I'm kids gonna... sound like they're the right age for it so yeah, and my daughter is a fiend. She's a book fiend. I almost feel like I almost feel like I want to give her chaotic good though. Like I almost feel like like she could deal. She well, could deal. She could sort you. of Yeah. <laughs> but Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm just I'm thinking great. out loud here. But I'm thinking in in the sort of the scope of things. I know my son, fake blood, mm -hmm. that looks like something like he he's he's about yeah, he would sort yeah. of dig that. Okay. All right. Be well. Thank Look you. Look forward to chatting Thank with you, you soon too. sometime if we could. Sounds good. Take care. All right, you too. Bye.